I want you to be ready. I don't want you to be surprised by it. I want you to be hungry and thirsty and ready for it. And, and that kind of is the genesis of the message that I'm preaching to you today because I believe it's an important season in our church. Like there's seasons in God and this is a season where God wants to pour upon his rain upon us. It's God's rainy season. So let's be ready to receive it. It's going to be excellent. So let me just pray. Father, I feel I've got something in here that I have to get out of here so that it reaches people, oh God, through here but in their hearts. And so, Lord, I pray that you would do that, oh God. Father, let them not hear what I have to say. Let them hear what you have to say. And use me as a vessel today to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're Christians. We follow the Word of God. We try to live our lives by what the Bible says. We try and consider what the Bible says. When we come to decisions, we look at the Word of God and we say, that's how I want to go because that has given me a principle that has given me direction. Very wise, very good way to live. So when I was a very new Christian, I didn't know really anything about the Bible. Like someone had to teach me what Mark 1 verse 6 means, right? That there's a gospel of Mark and it comes in chapters and then it has verses, so that's how raw I was. I, I knew there was a Bible. I'd read stories of the Bible. I, I knew those different things, but I didn't know that, that there was verses and chapters and books and, or any of those things. But when I became a Christian, I was straight away on fire. So I was a very young Christian, and one of the very first scriptures I became aware of was Matthew 6, verse 33. It's quite a famous scripture. The majority of people in this room would be able to quote it. And the very, very, very vast majority of you would have definitely heard a sermon from this passage of scripture. So this will probably be number 52 from Matthew 6, verse 33. So let's read it together. It should come up on the screen. But seek first, let's read together. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So who's heard of that scripture? As I thought, most of you would have. It's a great scripture. It's a wise scripture. I'd very much counsel you to follow the tenets of that scripture. So it's a part of the Sermon of the Mount. Jesus' greatest sermon, there's three or four chapters given to the Sermon on the Mount. It's wonderful. And Jesus uses this particular Scripture and this verse in context of the fact that, that in dealing with worry, we're dealing with the things of this life, we're dealing with the, the things of seek first the kingdom of God rather than worry about the things of this life, seek the, the actions and the righteousness of God rather than try and be righteous in yourself. And in the end, you won't have anything to worry about, you'll actually be worry free. So I remember I read this verse. I'm a brand new Christian. I'm, I'm a young Christian. But I remember, as I said, it wasn't a slow burn. I, I went from zero to 100, right? I went from not knowing a church like this existed to I want to do everything there is in this church and everything is about Jesus that you could ever meet and ever do. So that's really in a night and a day. It wasn't a slow burn. Everything was amazing. 
Church was amazing. Christians were amazing. Every song I sang was amazing. The Bible was amazing. Praying was amazing. I would tell everyone I knew, everyone, literally on the bus, in the street, I would tell everyone about this amazing Jesus that I met. So here I am reading this verse, seek first the kingdom of God. And I want to tell you, as a brand new young Christian, if Jesus himself had appeared in bodily form and spoken those words to me, it would have meant exactly the same. It just went boom. Seek first, not second. First, the kingdom of God. And yes, I will do that, God. You're speaking to me, God. I will certainly do that. I'm there. I'm keen. I'm going to seek the kingdom of God. And then I realized something. What's the kingdom of God? I'm, I'm, I'm thinking like the Bible will tell me. So I go to the, you know, like at the end where it shows you like the index and I look for the kingdom of God. Yes, there's lots of scriptures about the kingdom of God, but none of them actually tell me what the kingdom of God is, right? And, and I'm just a brand new Christian, so I don't know anything else. I just go, what, what is it? And, and I was really perplexed. What is the kingdom of God? Is that, uh, is, and if Jesus himself is saying to seek after the kingdom of God, then it must be really important. He's saying, seek after it first. Don't seek after a second, not third. He's basically saying, don't seek after it haphazardly, but seek after the kingdom of God with diligence and, and with purpose, with perseverance. Be intentional about seeking first the kingdom of God. So I started thinking to myself, what, what is the kingdom of God? Is the kingdom of God the Bible? Must be the Bible. I've got to seek everything in the Bible. Maybe, no, no, maybe it's worship. I just worship God. I, God, I want you to be, make room. I make room. That's the kingdom of God, right? Seeing that, maybe it's just lifestyle. I'll be a Christian. I'll actually be a good person. I'll follow the tenets of Christ. I'll forgive you. I'll pray for you. I'll, I'll treat you the, light, the way I would like to be treated. I'll live a Christian life. Maybe. It's just another word for Christianity itself. I, I just didn't know. But then I found out something. I wasn't alone. Jesus himself had trouble describing what the kingdom of God was. And that brings me comfort because if I'm having an issue and Jesus is having an issue, then I'm being like Jesus. So Jesus spoke a lot about the kingdom of God. But there's one chapter of the Bible where he takes six different parables to tell us about the kingdom of God. And he uses things like this. He, he, he goes like, how should I illustrate the kingdom? You can, you can hear him. like He actually uses those words. How will I illustrate the kingdom? Because he, he didn't want to give a dictionary definition. He wanted to, to paint a picture in your mind. So there are many kind of stories and, and parables about the kingdom. But today I want to have a look at the six different parables that Jesus uses in Matthew 13. What story should I use to be able to describe what the kingdom of God is like? How do I show that? Because a kingdom, as I said, can't be described by just a dictionary word. Jesus understood that the kingdom of God needed to be encountered that the kingdom of God was never about theory. It was something to be experienced. 
You know, on Sunday night, essentially that's what happened. People came here and experienced the kingdom of God. Something so in their hearts gripped them that it drew them to the front, to their knees. And they just said, I want God. That's the kingdom of God. And that's why it's different in one sense for every person. Jesus is smart. He actually knew if you gave a dictionary definition, we would sit there and turn it into a line, right? If you're on this side of the line, then you're bad. If you're on this side of the line, you're good. And what it is is, okay, I only have to be right here, right? And it's really hard trying to keep balance if you're just trying to stay the line all the time. You understand? You can tell I'm not a tightrope worker, right? (laughs) You understand? So... And that's what happens. He's, he's, he's saying, like, I, I, I want to show you, so I'm not just going to give you this definition, do this, and all of a sudden you'll be right. He'd already tried that. It hadn't worked. It was called the Ten Commandments. So he starts teaching the people about the kingdom of God. There's actually eight parables in that chapter, six of which are pictures that Jesus is trying to paint in their mind. And what he does, he does them in sets of two. Two parables each to kind of illustrate one principle of what the kingdom of God is. He's not trying to get into their intellect. He's trying to get into their hearts. He's trying to get them a picture and show them something. And to be honest, it's a very smart way to get something across. Because everyone sees it from their eyes. Everyone sees it from their experience. Everyone sees it from where they are at. If you think about it, if you watch a movie, right? If I'm watching a movie with Nina, I'm watching the movie from the guy's eyes. Nina's watching the movie from the girl's eyes. So even watching a movie, it's different. All of us have had something where we've read a book and then we've seen that movie. And when we've read the book, we've pictured the guy's definitely got blonde hair. And then you get the movie, he's got a beard and it's black. And you go, no, that's not the guy I saw in, in my mind. Because when we read so, when we see so, we paint a picture in our mind. So Jesus was very smart. He knew that with, with the whole crowd that's listening, because he's in a boat, there's so many people there, the only way he could get by himself was to be in a boat, and he spoke from a boat. He knew that everyone there had their own unique personality. They had different levels of intelligence. They had all different experiences and where they came from. There'd be all levels of society in there. And so he knew that by telling parables, he was going to say something that would actually resonate within the, uh, within the spirits of the people that were listening. I just love how smart Jesus is. He just doesn't say, just do this. But he's smart enough, and the Word of God is smart enough to be able to make global kind of principles, individual to you and to you and to you. That's, that's just brilliant. So we're going to have a look at these today. So, and I pray that the Holy Spirit shows you a kingdom in a picture that you understand as I speak these parables today. So the first parable is the one of the mustard seed. Matthew 13, verse 31. He put another parable before them saying, The kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it's grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in his branches. So here we see it. The smallest seed there is, 
grows into a large bush. What picture is Jesus trying to paint? It's saying this, the kingdom of God may start off small, but eventually it takes over your life. I remember the night that I got saved, going home, lying in bed, knowing that something had changed. And even though I had no understanding of anything, I knew that from that day, my life would forever be different. And what happened, something very small that I'd never heard of has now taken over my life. Jesus knew when he was talking about the seed that, that what he was talking about, he's painting a picture. He doesn't waste the word. See, the Jews have the Talmud, which is kind of like the written laws, and they have the Mishnah, which is the oral tradition, the oral traditions. And in the Mishnah, it said that you couldn't get a mustard seed in your home. You couldn't plant it. You had to go plant it out in the wilderness. And the reason was, is that was a weed. Once you planted one little bit, that thing took over. You couldn't control it just in your house. It started to grow and to grow and to grow. And when Nina and I went to uh, Israel, we did one a part of a, a Jesus trip. We went on a walk through the wilderness for probably a few or four, three or four hours. And we just saw mustard seeds everywhere. There's that yellow plant that you just see all over Israel because it's like a, a weed. It just takes over. It's like getting one little bit of kaikuya grass in your lawn. Three months later, your lawn is kaikuya grass, right? It just takes over. And that's what God is saying. He's saying the kingdom of God isn't just something that you go out into the desert when you need something. The kingdom of God needs to be in your heart because it should take over. And eventually what happens is that what was just good to you becomes a shelter to others. See, the kingdom of God, when I first encountered it, was just the smallest of seeds. But once the kingdom of God got hold of me, all of a sudden, I just started to have an effect on other people. And that's what happens is, is that as you read the word and it becomes real to you, you just want more of the word. As you start to sing and worship and, and have relationship with Jesus, you just want more of that relationship. It starts to take over. It's taste and see that the Lord is good. You come to church and you just want to be in church. You know, I would, I would walk, I'd get out from my house at four in the morning to go to a 6 a.m. prayer meeting because I just wanted God, if church had been on eight days a week, I would have been there eight days a week. I went every time the doors were open, you couldn't stop me because something was germinating, something was growing in my spirit. The kingdom of God had taken root. And that's why opportunities like this week's summer are so important because what it is, is it's, it's putting water and fertilizer on that seed of the kingdom in your heart to let it grow. It gives it a boost. You know, right now, our lawns are just dying. They're not dying. There's been so much rain, but they're just, they're not growing. When the soil reaches 22 degrees, all of a sudden, you watch that soil, bang, start to happen. We've got to weed and feed and we fertilize and we, and we get it right, ready for the growing season. That's what's happening. And that's why we have things like the summer, because God has got a growth spurt coming for us. 
coming for us. Jesus reinforces that with another parable. He tells another parable is like the same. He said he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Same principle. There's a little bit of leaven, but it leavens the whole lump. It starts off small, but then it takes over this, and then it takes over that, and it takes over this, and it takes over that. See, when it comes to the kingdom of God, it will never be happy in a sense just being part of your life. It'll always push. As you get hungry for the things of God, as you get thirsty for the God, there's always things that's going to push out of your life. It's going to push. It's going to say, no, no, I don't want that. No, I pushed that out of your life. I used to love playing cricket. And I remember I used to play every Saturday, but it meant that cricket finished at uh, 6 o'clock. There was a prayer meeting uh, at 6 o'clock for uh, our youth night, and we'd have every Saturday night. And so one day my pastor came to me and said, it's time to give up cricket. There's nothing wrong with cricket. Cricket isn't demonic. Cricket's a great game, right? It's, it's a wonderful game. But the kingdom of God said, no, I'm going to push that out. I'm, I'm taking that over. I'm taking that over. And that's what happens. In the kingdom, it's always something. It's not good to be stagnant. The leaven is leavening the whole lump. You can't just say, I'm going to be a Christian at, at, at church. I'll be a Christian at home. But when it comes to work and school, I'm just going to be like everyone else. See, the kingdom of God puts demands on your life. You can't just give one part because if there's one part, it's of its own self, it will start to grow. Of its own self, it will start to push the boundaries. It's never comfortable really in the kingdom of God because God's always saying there's more, there's more, there's more. You can't give just one part and not another part. It also gives the picture that we are the yeast. We should influence the situations that we're in. You know, when I was working a secular job, I would always try and influence the situation. If someone started talking about some woman and, and what she was like, I would sit and say, your wife's way better looking than her. What are you talking about her for? they talk to me about how drunk they got and what they did in the weekend. I'd tell them what I did on the weekend and how great our youth group was and, and all of those things. When they started saying something about the boss and he's this and that, I would start to point out something good about our workplace. See, I started to have an influence and slowly started to get and change the atmosphere to the point where they, they, would, they would swear, oh, sorry, right? And it's not because I ever told them off. I would just always point to a different thing. I'd never say, well, why did you swear? How dare you swear? How dare you have that thought? I would never be any of that, but I was just being positive. I was letting my influence start to influence. My challenge to you this morning in the areas that you are in are you going to become more like them or are they going to become more like you? Who's going to be the yeast? Are they going to be the yeast or are you going to be the yeast? And I want to say, just with all the parents here, that's really important in parenting. Right? Bad company corrupts good morals. You need to control and or control. I don't like that word, especially these days. right? But you need to monitor who your friends are of your kids. Because like, let me tell you, you can do everything great at home, but who's going to be the yeast? Understand different kids have got different strengths in their yeast ability. <laughs> There's a word, yeast ability. 
One of the ways that you know you're seeking first the kingdom of God, it's actually a little litmus test, is that are you affecting the atmospheres that you're in? Right? Are you affecting? You know, yesterday I played particularly terrible at golf. Right? I, it's actually a shame to say this. I got a 12 on a par four. Now, for those of you who play go a mock it, you probably want to walk out of church. I can't be under a ministry like that, right? I was devastated. I was, I was just, I was just, dev- it, was just it was just horrible. I forgot why I was telling you that story. Uh, oh, that's right. So I get to the next hole, and I said to the guys, I said, you have come as close as anyone has ever come to seeing a pastor lose his chops and just swear like crazy, right? And then the other guy goes, he goes, I thought you didn't swear. And he goes, that's all right. I've done enough for all of us, right? So, uh, so you just start to have an influence. They so start to know that pastor, that pastor, that pastor. It's a good thing to do. All right. So then he tells another two parables to illustrate another principle of the kingdom of God. The kingdom, I just started thinking about getting a 12 again. That's just, it's devastating. It's just devastating. I, I, I kept me up last night. All right, Jesus, come back. It's club championships as well, by the way. But uh, sorry, come back, Jesus. All right, kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Can we see a a theme coming through here? A man finds hidden treasure. It's hidden in a field. So he sells everything that he has so he can buy that field. See, the kingdom of God might be free, but eventually it costs you everything as you bow the knee to the kingdom and say, all I have and all I am is yours, God. And he takes us as we are. But it's a cost you're only too willing to pay. The kingdom of God is always going to be worth more than all that you have. And I want to say, every good thing that I have has come to me because I sold out everything for the kingdom of God. My wife, my kids, my ministry, my friends, my memories, my desires, my future, my experiences have all come to me because of the kingdom of God. Nothing that I have accumulated could have matched what the kingdom of God has given me. And to be honest, if I had owned the whole world, but I didn't have the kingdom of God, I'd actually be poorer. I'd be a poorer person. And it shows us that if you seek first the kingdom of God, then your future provision will come from the kingdom of God. In the finding of the treasure of the kingdom, you also find the means of your future support because God looks after you when you put his kingdom first. Goes on, another parable. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in a sea of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Can we see this theme once again of the kingdom of God taking over, that it's worth more than everything else? I seek first that, because then it all comes. So it's a similar parable. A pearl merchant finds a pearl, sells everything he has, buys that one pearl. He's looking for the choicest of pearls. He's a pearl merchant. He knows what's good. He knows what's bad. And when he sees the kingdom, 
He goes, that's the pearl that I've been looking for. That's the pearl that I want. See, the merchant represents all the seekers in the world because eternity is written in men's hearts. Everyone, even those who say they don't believe in God, in their heart, right here, in their spirit, there's something that says God's real. They may never say it with their mouths, but it's there. And that's why even at a, at a point of death, when someone's on their deathbed, that we even pray for them. Because even they may seem like they're unconscious and, and not receiving anything, there's something of their spirit that is still alive and still awake. And God will give them every last opportunity to find him. They're seeking. People are seeking meaning in their lives. But once you've found Jesus, you don't have to search anymore. Jesus is enough. Isn't it amazing that the merchant stops seeking? He stops looking for pearls because he's found the pearl that he wants. He stops with one. It's not the kingdom end. He's found the pearl. It's not a, I got a kingdom and I need a wife. I got a kingdom and I need money. I got a kingdom and I need a good job. I got a kingdom and no, it's in the kingdom itself is the value. It's in the kingdom itself, all by itself. You don't need to add anything. And it's amazing because as our verse says, as we seek the kingdom, everything else is added to us. I don't need to add to the kingdom. As I seek it, it'll add to me in every area of your life. And I love the fact that Jesus uses a pearl as an illustration because you think about it, back then, a pearl would have been very costly. You know, today you can manufacture a pearl. Today they have pearl farms. They actually, you know, actually farming pearls. But back then they wouldn't have had that. A lot of effort would have gone into harvesting a pearl. Oysters just themselves made pearls and it's because they form an irritation. The irritation of sand comes into that pearl and in trying to deal with that irritation, it puts one coat upon another coat upon another coat and it's always perfectly round. Not every oyster has a pearl and divers would have risked their lives to go down to find those pearls. They didn't have oxygen tanks. They didn't have wetsuits and all these things. They would have dived down deep. They would have had to look for the oysters and then find the pearl. See, a, a pearl is also perfect. It's perfect when it's found. It's not like a gold nugget. A gold nugget needs to be melted or, or, or worked upon, fashioned. And, and cut. a diamond needs to be cut to get what it is. But, uh, but the, the, the pearl is perfect. The kingdom of God is already perfect. It's perfect in itself. You don't need to add something to it for it to be perfect. And sometimes it takes that seeking. And here's this merchant. He's been doing these things. He's been going down. He's been looking. He's been looking. But now he's found the pearl that he wants, the perfect pearl of the kingdom of God. There, there, there's, there's come something of, of effort to see that happen. You know, this week, and I talk about it a lot, but we have a moment to have with God. Pastor Danny Guglamucci gave us a great word. We have a moment with God, which will turn into a movement, which will then become momentum. That's what happens. Let there come and sit. So I'm going to have a moment. I allow that seeking heart of mine have a moment. I find it interesting. Many pearls are made by irritation. And many people 
come to Christ when there comes an irritation in their lives, when something happens in their lives, when the thing that they've been trusting in doesn't work. They've trusted in this. They've trusted in that. They've trusted in their money, their education, their friends, their family. But when it came down to it, it didn't help them. And all of a sudden, they found Jesus who was with them in it, no matter what they were going through. And they find Jesus. He goes on another one. He's a bit tougher, these ones. Matthew 13, verse 24. He put another parable before him. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds amongst the wheat, and they went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to him, an enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, then do, what you, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first, bind them in the bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Oh, a bit scary now. Parable of the wheat and the tares growing together. Someone wants to rip out the tares. Wheat and tares are growing together. Someone comes, come on, let's rip them out. But the wise farmer, who later on Jesus says is himself, explains, no, at the end of days, do it at the end. This parable shows us the mercy part of the kingdom of God. Some people make this parable about the church. They sit there and say, in church, there's wheat and tares. So today, I ask the person next to you, are you wheat or a tear? Right? It could be that, but I personally don't believe it's that. I actually put it to you that it's about the world and Christians. And that it shows us the mercy heart of God. That every Christian, every person on this planet gets an opportunity to hear the gospel. Every person on this planet gets an opportunity to hear the message of the kingdom. We sometimes see these people sinning, doing all these things. We go, God, why don't you judge them? Why don't you smite them? Why don't you do all these different things? And God says, because I want to give them the, as much of an opportunity to find me as they can. And I'm going to, even if they're, and if I smite them, I might, I just want to give them the opportunity to hear about it. And maybe the muses would come as I finish with the last parable. Matthew 13, verse 47. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore, sat down, sorted out the good in the containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's the power of the fishing net. It's a picture of what's going to happen at the end of days. And it's a picture of the kingdom that should actually shock us. It's not a happy story, this one. It fends with people being thrown into a furnace where there's a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Not everyone 
he's going to heaven. It's a, it's a scary thought. Not everyone is going to heaven. There is a real hell and it's not a nice place. And, and we as part of the kingdom should be doing everything that we can to let people know the message of the kingdom and the message of the mercy of God and the gospel of God so that everyone has that opportunity to hear the message of Jesus Christ. We should be doing everything we can to see people coming in to the kingdom of God. Now, I'm not guilt-tripping anyone today. That's not my heart. But I do want you to see it seriously. The kingdom is life and death. The kingdom is heaven and hell. And Jesus was deadly serious about the kingdom. So serious, in one chapter, he tells the six parables to paint a picture. I stand before God because of what Jesus has done for me, and so do we all. But when someone rejects God, it's not their sin, because we seek His righteousness. Not their own righteousness, but His righteousness. And when we seek His righteousness, then God doesn't see the sin and are not separated. So sin isn't really the issue. It's did you reject what God did for you or did you accept what God did for you? It's not like, well, I did this, this and this and not that, that and that. It's just, did you accept Jesus? Did you receive the message of the kingdom or did you reject the message of the kingdom? And I wanna show you that this tells us that everyone gets a chance. Everyone has an opportunity. God is not wanting that any should perish, Peter tells us. And Jesus gives us one of the most chilling depictions of hell that we could get, a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. And when I saw that one day, I realised everyone has a chance. What does weeping and gnashing of teeth mean? I want to show you. I would like maybe Ella and Rachel, come with me. I've got a brand new, I printed it this morning, $50 uh, note, right? Brand new, here it is. Ella, I want you to have this $50. It's in my left hand. I'm not hiding it. It's my left hand. I'm not doing anything. Ella, I think you should choose this hand. If you pick this left hand, the one with my watch on her, you will get $50. What do you want to choose? What do you, want to, what do you think she should choose, Rachel? I think we should choose it. Why do you think she should choose it? Oh, all right. So, Ella, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Oh, no. She had the chance. Here's three dollars. Sucked in. Goodbye. Thank you. Let's give her a hand. She might find that later. All right. See, the thing is, she had an opportunity to get $50. I told her all the benefits of why I didn't hide it from her. I didn't do anything tricky. It's $50. I sent someone to tell her, come on, please, that hand, that's the hand, that's the hand, come on. Do you hear that? You got the benefit, that's the kingdom. And God has sent us people throughout all the world that go and preach the gospel. Maybe he's sending you to go and speak to someone about the kingdom. But in the end, are they gonna choose? And when they get there and they realise they've been told to choose that hand, they've been told 
you know, by other people to choose that hand and then they don't and they go, ah! Weeping and gnashing of teeth is a sign of recognised missed opportunity. They've had that opportunity, but then it's gone. Then it's gone. They're separated from God forever. It's a very sobering message. It's a very true message, but sometimes we sometimes forget about that. And, and I know the great uh, man of God, William Booth, who started the Salvation Army, he goes, don't show me all the things that, uh, just let me stay just like one foot from, from hell and then I'll just see the people because that'll just keep me going forever. That's all I need to see. I need to see that people are going to hell, a Christless eternity, a Christless eternity. The kingdom is important. The kingdom is a matter of life and death for many, many people. God will clearly tell people the gospel. And one of the things that comforts me is that I know that no one, the Bible says no one will stand before God and say, I didn't hear it, I didn't know it, I didn't understand it. You know, so people in other countries, all of those different things, God will have a way because it's individual. No one will be able to say, I didn't hear You know, I, I think in one way that's hell itself, knowing that you had the opportunity to be forever with God, but that you're not going to be. It wasn't a lucky dip. You had an opportunity. People who chose Christ weren't lucky. They chose Christ. And so today I want to stir you. Are you seeking first the kingdom? Are you allowing the kingdom to grow in your life, to start taking over every part of your life? See, it's not just about whether you become a Christian or not. It's not about whether you don't drink or smoke or do all those things. It's not about any of that. Is that where's your heart directed? Where is your heart directed? And I feel that we're coming to a time as a church where there's this seeking and a hunger and a stirring of the kingdom. We've allowed the world and its circumstances to, to take our attention. It's almost we've been distracted and God's saying, get back. Get back. See, the thing is, the enemy will never, ever get me to give up on Jesus because he's just too real. But he'll distract me. He'll start to get me to think that this is more important, that that's more important. He'll try and get me thinking that this is the main game, that I, I need to worry about my money. I need to worry about this. I need to, whereas no, he's saying, come back and seek first the kingdom. Get a kingdom right. Get a kingdom right. Get, a, get the kingdom aspect of your life right. And all these things will be added unto you. I just want us to close our eyes right now. And I just want us to finish this morning by all of us refreshing a commitment, I say, so to seek after the kingdom. You know, I feel something's happening within our church. And to be honest, I just pray, God, I'm leading the church. I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss the hour of your visitation. And so could you pray with me, church? Can you pray with me, church, and, and pray that, that God would visit us, 
and that we would see and experience and encounter the kingdom of God. Father, we are open to you, O God. Father, we just say right now that we will seek first the kingdom of God. Father, there's areas where there's a push, where the yeast is trying to take more of our lives. We, we give in to that, O God. We give over those desires. We give over those hurts. We give over those issues, O God. And we say, kingdom, start to take over. Kingdom, start to take over. Kingdom, start to take over. Father, we don't want to be people that go out just when we need God to get a bit of a taste of God. But we want God to take over all of our lives, oh God. Father, for those who have been distracted, Father, their their attention has been on other things and and worry has come in. Father, I pray right now, just, just grab them, oh God, in a sense and let them lift up their heads and let them see into the kingdom of heaven, oh God. Father, let a fresh wave of seeking, let a fresh wave of hunger, Father, be upon us, oh God. I just ask that in Jesus' name, amen. 